the podcast here so people can get that too. The uh, James chapter 5, I want you to look particularly at two verses in that chapter. Look in verse 10 and verse 11. Let's follow that, please. He said, Take, my brethren, the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering affliction and of patience. Behold, we count them happy, notice this, which endure. You have heard of the patience of Job, have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. Um, I want to speak to you this morning on the subject of do you have what it takes? Do you have what it takes? Vitally important for your understanding what the message is this morning and taking it in a biblical setting, which is how I intend it. I'm not saying that, and the title is not intended as a taunt. It's not somebody say, hey, you have what it takes? It's not that kind of spirit or attitude with it. The purpose of the question, do you have what it takes, is for us to stop and think, do we have what it takes? And specifically, we're going to find out, meaning do we have what it takes to serve the Lord for the long haul? Um, it, it, this should lead us to sober thinking and, and uh, really look into Scripture, paying attention to what's being taught this morning. Because we come to church not to be entertained, although we have a good time around here. Different things happen sometimes, kind of amusing. But we don't come to be entertained. Uh, we come to learn how to live according to the Word of God. And you have a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, if you do not own a Bible, please let us know that. We'll, we'll take care of that for you. But you have a Bible. You have a Bible available to you. And you're to, you're, to, you're to examine the Bible and you're to know your Bible. Church is designed by God. It's not a man-made thing. Man didn't come up with it. Sometimes as I'm witnessing the people in town stuff, every now and then somebody will say, well, I'm not into organized religion. And I recognize that as any manner of foolishness you run into as you witness the people. And uh, that's just trying to dodge truth to the Lord. Um, I understand a lot of hurt's been done in the name of religion. Who doesn't know that? Um, I understand a lot of, a lot of uh, errors have been spread in the name of religion. But uh, God started His church. That's what He did. And he, the way the church is designed and the way it operates now, according to what we understand in the book of Acts and in the New Testament writings, there are churches like this. Uh, we, they're independent congregations. I believe a biblical church is an independent congregation. We don't have hierarchical oversight. We don't have a, a headquarters somewhere on the earth telling us what we have to preach and what we don't preach and what we do. Each, each congregation is self-governing, but each is supposed to be under the authority of the Word of God. And what that means is that you are supposed to study the Bible and you're supposed to learn the Bible yourself. The Bible is the final authority. The Bible is. A pastor, and there's three different titles that roll into what we use accurately as the term pastor. He's an elder. He's an elder who teaches, uh, has experience in the Lord and the calling of God on his life to be able to teach the Word of God. Uh, he's the bishop of the church. He oversees things. Uh, a New Testament biblical church is a pastor-led church. And so leadership is an important word because it's a service thing. It isn't a, it isn't a domineering thing. And, uh, and so as a bishop, it's interesting, the word bishop um, means to visit. And it isn't just visiting people as you do, but it's also visiting each thing. You're checking on things. 
Uh, we have a lot of different things happen here at the church. Anytime you operate buildings and you bring the public into it and you have outreach ministries and you run large vehicles and you have all this, you have insurances, you have maintenance, you have dealing with the cities, all that's part of it. As a bishop, I oversee the business relationships of these things. And also, Miss Jody knows this, and, and she does an excellent job as the financial secretary and, and uh, those who work uh, around here at different positions. Uh, I will go in and check things and say, what about this? And how are we doing here? That's what a bishop does. He oversees, he looks, he checks the details. Uh, how are we doing? Making sure things are done decently and in order and the way they should be. Make sure that our church stays on the budget that the congregation has voted on at the beginning of the year. These type of things. And uh, that's <laughs> that's a part of every... So I, I was called to preach when I was 16, you know. I'm ready to preach the Word. Thank God I've been preaching ever since then. And that's what I do, you know, preach the Word. So I didn't know. I also knew I was supposed to pastor. And pastoring is like every every other... Uh, uh, everything you do in life in this aspect, there's always the paperwork end of it. Isn't that the truth? You know, I came up around farmers and, and, uh, and helping on farms. And there's paperwork with farming. Did you know that? All of it's got paperwork. But um, the bishop's part of it. And then, of course, the shepherd. And that is trying to represent, uh, properly represent the Lord Jesus Christ towards you, loving you, looking for your for what's good, feeding you the Word of God. The main job of a pastor, according to the Scripture, and a pastor who's a biblical pastor takes his job description from the. And I don't, I'm not being rude. I'm not being in your face by statement. I'm teaching you something. The biblical pastor uh, takes his job description from the Scripture, not from the congregation. Always from the Word, and according to the Word. The Lord's the great shepherd. According to the word, you belong to him and I have a responsibility to treat you the way the Lord wants you treated. I have a responsibility to feed you. And my number one job and what I try diligently to give my time and energy to in a major way here is to feed the flock of God. And so with that understood, uh, I want to ask you this question and I asked me this question. Do we have what it takes? The title is, do you have what it takes? But I'm asking us, do we have what it takes? Do we have what it takes to keep serving the Lord year after year? That isn't a taunt. I'm not saying, do you think you're tough enough? If you do, you're already heading towards a problem, by the way. But it's a real question. We come to church to learn how to live according to the Bible. And I love when people get excited. I, I get excited myself. I like it. I, I, it's my natural tendency. Uh, it, it's to be excited about things. I get energetic about things. I love it. But, and I love people get enthused. I love people come in and say, man, I want to serve God. I like people get saved. They say, man, what am I supposed to do next? Well, you're supposed to get baptized under the water and back up right after you get saved. All right, we'll do that next. All right, great. What's next? And I'll tell you what, be a witness for the Lord. Start serving God. And they just want to do that. I love that. But I also love it when they're still doing that, not getting baptized again, but still serving the Lord five years later and 10 years later and 15 years later, and 20 years later. Not just a flash that shows up and disappears, but something solid for the Lord. And uh, the intent, biblically this morning, is to help you with that. Do we have what it takes? The word, the Bible word, is the word endurance. The word endurance. Uh, to endure is to stay under. To remain, or to bear, or have fortitude. Here's a great, uh, great definition. It matches Bible use with it. To continue in the same state without perishing. In other words, if I were to go off doctrinally, if I were to turn our church into some kind of, some kind of rock and roll show, not church, if I were to take it down a wrong path, I would not have endured. So I are still preaching stuff. No, no, no. I didn't continue in the right path. So I didn't endure. So endurance 
It's not only doing the right thing, but staying at it. I'm glad for people I've known in my life. A lady you don't know, never met, would never met, named Martha Crossway. She was a lady in the church when I got saved as a teenager. And, and Martha was probably late 60s, early 70s, and she was involved in everything, the soul winning, working with the kids, everything. She was, she was the neatest lady, and I'm glad Martha Crossway stayed serving God with her strength right till the Lord took her home. A friend of mine named Kenny Moreland, and he was in his 50s when he just suddenly was taken, passed away. But Brother Kenny, he got saved and started serving God and stayed serving God all the way. He was the comptroller of Preble County. He oversaw all the budgets of Preble County. And he always stayed humble and served God with all his life with that. I think of Brother Fred Hill, my dear friend in the ministry and man who taught me so much, and over 40 years pastoring, and in the ministry seven years before that, he, had, he was both uh, Army and Air Force and got saved while he was in the military. As some of you know, this newspaper, it's a Christian newspaper called The Sword of the Lord. He got a hold of a copy of that while he was in his barracks, read it, accepted the Lord and served God. And Brother Fred Hill, uh, of course, in his, his uh, late 80s, up around 90, uh, served God right till he went home. I love that. Not just for the short haul, not just for now. I love it. I want you young folks that are in here to be loving God and knowing that you're loved by God and being stable and strong in your lives as you come into your 20s and 30s and 40s and 50s and, and all that. And, uh, and uh, I, want, I want those of you who are in your 20s and your 30s and our young families that are part of our church, I want you to serve God and keep following Him. And keep following Him. That's the thing. Here, here, this will help you. I'm talking about endurance. First of all, let me say this to you. Endurance is needful to bring glory to God when we're mistreated or, or, or treated unfairly. I know, that's just a theory, right? That could never happen. Amen? Being mistreated or, untreated, or treated unfairly. Uh, I won't ask you to raise your hand, but I, I think probably most people in here at some time or another have been treated unfairly. That's bothersome, isn't it? You know what should bother us even more? Is if we treat someone unfairly. Can I say something more pointed to you this morning? At some point, you serve God very long, you're going to get mistreated in church. Somebody's going to say something you don't like. Somebody's going to do something that's out of the way. Somebody in leadership's going to show you by their action that they're human. At that time, it's important that your focus be on the Lord Jesus Christ so you stay steady. I'm not talking about ignoring sin. I'm not talking about putting up with what we ought not to put up with. But listen, if we're going to continue and serve God for years, if we're going to do it as Christian people and as a church family, we're going to have to put up with each other. Did you know one of the characteristics in 1 Corinthians 13, one of the characteristics of charity is it's long-suffering. It suffereth long and it's kind. It's interesting. You know what the basic definition of suffering long is? You put up with each other. Every now and then, it's like, yeah, I know, but that's brother so-and-so. That's sister so-and-so. Well, what they said wasn't exactly right. I know, but we love them. Come on now, grin at me. Don't you all have any weird people in your family? (laughs) By the way, you don't have to jump up and say, that's me, yes, that's my time. Okay, no. Uh, Then we should not be surprised if sometimes in the the family of God, we've got a few things that are a little strange sometimes, don't we? And I could give you a lot of instances, you know. Uh, 26th of this month marks my 43rd spiritual anniversary. I guess say 43 years ago on July 26th. And uh, in 43 years of being a Christian man, Christian teenager and then Christian man, 42 years of preaching the gospel, I've seen a lot of strange. 
But I've seen a lot of people who are wanting to serve God. I've seen broken people, imperfect people, who are perfect God loves. And the fact is that it's a privilege to know God's people. It's a privilege to know some people who want to serve God. You need to, you need to, uh, you need to know how to deal with it. Look at First Peter. Let's look at some different scriptures here. First Peter chapter two. I'll hasten along with you. And here it gives a context of First Peter two. It gives a context of someone dealing with a situation of a master where they are, they may have been. Uh, they may have been servant to someone for learning a trade or whatever their situation was. You could think about it in an employment situation, and you would be correct with that. It'd be a direct parallel. But it teaches all of us something about dealing with things when we are not dealt with in a way that's right uh, going on. Look in verse 18. Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, that's easy, but also to the froward. That's someone who's going out of the way, not being what they ought to be. For this is thankworthy. I love that word. This is worthy of thanks. This is thankworthy. If a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. What it means in being conscious towards God is we endure what we endure because our mind is towards God, not towards just what's happening. It doesn't mean we don't feel it. Some people have this goofy idea that somehow if you're spiritual, things don't bother you. Yeah, they do. They may bother you deeply. But you make a decision that's spiritual to keep doing the right thing and keep loving God even though something has bothered you. Did it ever occur to us it takes no faith to keep doing the right thing for God if everything's going wonderful and we have no problems? The trial of our faith comes when something's actually bothering us. So like people say, well, if you have real faith, you'll never be afraid. That's unscriptural. It's not biblical. That's, and all my people from Eastern Kentucky, I have a license to say this, that's hillbilly philosophy. That's not Bible. In fact, one of the strong verses about fear says, at what time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. I will trust while I'm scared. People talk about somebody being brave. Do you know it did not take me any bravery to walk up to that and sit in that chair this morning? Now, some of you it may have because being in front of people would scare you to death. But I've done this literally. I've been preaching since I was 16. This is just normal for me to be in front of a crowd. That took no bravery at all. Me standing up here to preach takes no bravery this morning at all. Uh, but if I was put in a situation where my, my health and my life maybe was endangered and I need to take action that could hurt me, but it might help someone else, and I'm scared and I'm fearful, but I take the action anyway because it needs done, that's bravery. Because I did what's right when the... The fear is there. Let's go on down with the verses. Understanding what it talks about this conscience toward God. Look in verse 19 again. I know we read it, but to reset things here. For this is thankworthy if a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering how, church? Wrongfully. He didn't deserve it. I didn't deserve it. Yeah, neither did Jesus. It's not fun, but it's part of life. How many of you have ever said the statement to somebody, life's not fair, get over it, huh? That's right. I have two. Y'all are as calloused as I am, right? Don't you hate it when somebody actually says it to you, though? It's, it's, that's more fun saying than receiving. Um, verse 20. For what glory is it? If when you, are, you be buffeted for your faults, you shall take it patiently. But if when you do well and suffer for it, you take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. 
For even here and too were you called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow His steps. Who did no sin, that's Jesus, neither was guile found in His mouth, as I did deceitfulness. Who when He was reviled, remember how they did Him on the cross and such? Reviled not again. When He suffered, He threatened not, but committed Himself to him that judgeth righteously. We need to get back, back to the old-fashioned way of believing that there is a God who is judge of all. And the judge of all is not us. It's God. And He is able to take and make things right. I, I'm telling you, the confidence of that will help you in so many ways. Then look at verse 24 and look at this beautiful thing the Lord did for us. Who His own self, talking about Jesus, bear our sins in His own body on the tree that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes, and by stripes it's talking about him being cut open with a whip when they beat him, ye were healed. For you were as sheep going astray, but now are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. Sometimes when you think, well, I wasn't treated right on that, you consider that he, Jesus, bear our sins in his body. Jesus didn't need Calvary. Jesus didn't need Gethsemane. He didn't need, the, he didn't need the resurrection. He didn't need salvation. We did. And it is our sins which put Him on the tree. And when we start getting feeling overwhelmed that we've been this strong and all this happening, if we're going to endure, we need to get our eyes on the Lord and the fact that He suffered for us. Well, that's not fair. Someone treated me wrong. You're not above your Master. You're not above the Lord. I'm not saying it doesn't hurt because it does. I'm not saying it's not painful because it is. Look, every one of us here has got any age on us. We've been in a situation where we've treated unfairly. I've had people I love turn on me. I've had people that I've ministered literally turn around and curse me. But I'm going to tell you something. God went through far more than I ever will in the person of Jesus Christ on the cross. But when my flesh starts getting all worked up, my pride starts getting worked up, and I think, oh, well, how dare they do that after I've done for them? I need to just look at Calvary. And, and get my heart right where it ought to be. May that bring conviction to you this morning. May it bring comfort if it's needed. But God, God help us. Now I'm talking about I'm talking about the things that make people not stay in it for the long haul. And this is one of them. Is this thing of not having endurance to handle when things are improperly done towards us. Number two, endurance is needful to receive proper benefit from chastening. You know what chastening is, don't you? It's correction and it moves up all the way from subtle correction all the way up to corporal correction, actually whooping and punishment for what's going on. Look in Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. If you had your place in James, just go back a book. One book, back, back to your left towards Old Testament, you'll be in, in Hebrews. And by the way, instruction-wise will help you. In the front of almost all Bibles, there's an uh, index that gives you the books of the Bible in order and then what page they start on. I take time to explain that because when I got saved, when I first got in church, as I've told you many times, I didn't know where Genesis was. I had no Bible background. And, and you maybe this morning, you, you don't know quite where to turn. Some of the terminology we're using may be a little different for you. That's fine. That's fine. That's, this is a great opportunity and place for you to learn. And you'll learn the Word of God. It'll be a help to you. Hebrews chapter 12, and uh, uh, talking about this thing as far as benefiting from chastening. Look in verse 7. If you endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. 
For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? Then it goes on down and tells us in strong language and using a word here that's a biblical word, not a vulgar word, not one to be thrown around lightly. It says, For if you be without chastisement, then are you bastards and not sons. You're not the child of the father. Is what that says. You see, I have two sons, grown men now, you know them. And uh, when they were young, sometimes they had to be chastened. And that would a whole lot better let been uh, I'd rather been out on the kayaks with them. I'd rather have been hiking with them. I'd rather have been playing some kind of game or working on something. We did all those things together. I'd rather be doing that, but sometimes their behavior, if I was going to love them as a father ought to love them, sometimes it wasn't time for dad to do that, it was time for him to correct. Always start with just correct, try to teach. And but I tell you what, the uh, I'm fifty, I'll be soon September I'll be fifty-nine. I, I look back and you see glaringly, oh man, I can handle that different. Oh man, I can handle that different. I look back and, 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 and my goal, and I know my imperfections in it, and I'm sure my family does, but the, uh, my goal was to train and then correct. You never correct before I had to train, I don't think I hit that at by any means. But boy, I wanted to, still want to train, still want to help. But I don't think they're so grown up, I can't help them now. I figured out I'll always be as far ahead of them as I always was, age wise, right? Not to mention guardian intellect and stuff like that, right? But they, uh, I, can, I can help them out along the way. But what happens is, as you're, uh, as you're uh, uh, corrected, your Heavenly Father will correct you. Uh, with my boys, they'd be doing something and getting a little squirrely. I know that's hard to imagine, a child ever doing that. I mean, it's like, it's like not your kids, but your grandkids are perfect, right? Yeah. And they, uh, <laughs> uh, but, you know, they're doing stuff. And uh, I prefer they're acting up. All I would do is uh, uh, just look. One I, I had a fellow once I was dealing with, he said, it was, it was a young pastor trying to help me with something. He says, he says, I always hate it when you look at me through your eyebrows. He says, that's a scary look. I just look. And if that took care of it, I've had him doing stuff before, and I just look. And they're like, stop. Oh, yeah. You know, that's how your Heavenly Father would like to guide you. Start getting squirrely. Start getting, you'd rather just take care of that. Give you a little nudge. Give you a little instruction. But, you know, if they wanted to keep going, they would go to... They push past that. Look at here. I don't count. I didn't teach my children math to, to instruct them. One, two, three. Forget that nonsense. Be clear, be distinct about what they're doing wrong, and be firm. Get some confidence in who you are as a, as a parent. Well, and quit asking them permission. Would you please do that? I'm asking you permission to ask. Quit asking permission. Now stop that, okay? Now quit that, okay? You, you, if you get a really high-speed mind kid going, it's got kind of a little bit of perfect personality, they're likely to look at you and go, no. Because you're asking them a question. Stop that, okay? Now, I'm not asking you a question. Here's, here's a better statement. No, we don't do that. There's no debate in that. We don't do that. You say, oh, that's mean. No, means letting them run loose with no, no love and no chastisement. I am glad, look, I am glad God chastises me. I know how far astray my flesh is able to go. I know how cold my heart's able to go. You know, it's a sad and tragic thing, but the reality is, as much as Christ has done, as good as God's been, and the way He's loved me, 
Now he reached out with the gospel. And then allowed me to preach his word. And still my heart can get astray from him. Man, he's a good God. He's patient. He really deserves better than what we are. But he brings us along. And he brings us up. And uh, endurance is needed if you're going to handle chastening. Some people can't even handle a slight correction from their pastor. I mean, there, I've dealt with people before. One little thing like, here, 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 let's sit up now. Not disturb service. That's enough to blow them out of service. Well, they were mean to me there. No, you were disruptive. Someone needed to, to address the situation that you need to behave a certain way. And this touchy-feely, I am the victim, somebody owes me something mentality that we're living in in our nation is pathetic. May God help us to love effectively. And loving effectively involves speaking the truth in love taking care of things. I give you a lot of examples, but God, God's good to us. I think you get it. Endurance is needed to bring glory to God. When we're dealt with unfairly, endurance is needful to receive proper benefit from chastening. And then let me say endurance is needed to make full proof of our ministry. I like this. In other words, to bring to full fruition whatever God's wanting to do in our life. Look in 2 Timothy very quickly with this. 2 Timothy 4. Second Timothy 4, this uh, specific instruction being given to Timothy as a younger preacher, and it gives good instruction to all of us as believers as far as our, our conducting and our comportment towards God. Look in verse 5, I think is where I want you to go with that. Yeah, look in verse 5, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 5. He said, but watch thou in all things, you're paying attention, being aware, endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. Make full proof of thy ministry. That means serving God when we're down and serving God when we're up. Serving God when we're well. Serving God when we're ill. You may not always have the same energy to do the same thing. You may not always be able to run at the same speed. That's not what it's talking about. What it's talking about is being faithful with what you can be faithful about. The fact is that we've got to realize God deserves some people we're not just serving Him when it's easy and it's fun and everything's going well. <laughs> Common thing you hear as you deal with people, and especially as a pastor, as you deal with people on multiple levels, um, common thing you hear is, well, when I get take care of a few things, I'm going to start serving God. Well, no, you're not. Two things are involved in that. Why you won't. Number one is you've revealed your priorities. Your priorities are your things, not God. When I take care of a few things, then I'll serve God. You're not ever going to do it until your heart changes because you have said, when I get time for God, I'll give Him some. And as long as God is a leftover in your life, He will never be Lord in your life. Second thing about it, you have an adversary called the devil listening. And he's listening to you say, well, let's, let's do this. He'll just keep you busy. <laughs> He'll keep you chasing your tail forever. Why? Right? Because you're never just going to say, okay, I'm going to serve God in the midst of it. I'm going to serve God while I'm trying to figure it out. 
I'm going to serve God while my heart's not perfectly right. I'm going to serve God while I'm still confused over some things. I don't know everything, but I do know this. God is good. He's worthy of words to me. He's worthy of serving, so I'm just going to go ahead with what I know. And when you start doing that, it is amazing the progress you make. And God looks and says, oh, look, there's an imperfect vessel that's willing. And the Bible teaches us if there be first a willing mind, it is accepted according to the demand hath and not what he hath not. And so that's a, that's a tremendous thing with it. And so uh, we need to make full proof. Um, let me just uh, give you uh, this one also quickly in 2 Timothy. Go back to, to chapter 2 and uh, give you another thing with endurance. 2 Timothy chapter 2. It's interesting, endurance is mentioned so much in the uh, books or the epistles of the Bible that deal instructing the preachers. Any of you men ever believe God may be calling you to preach, He's calling you to study, and He's calling you to work. God doesn't bless lazy, and He wants you to work. And uh, if you're not willing to do that, then stay out of it. It's not something for people to come hear you get something off your chest. It's not something for you to get a position. It's service. It's work. It's labor. And it ought to be always looked at that way. That's, that's, that's God's way. That's what He does. 2 Timothy 2. Endurance is needed to be a true soldier of Jesus Christ. 2 Timothy chapter 2. I mentioned in my class, but a young man, 31-year-old man I got to give the Gospel to and talk to this week had served our country in Afghanistan. And we talked some about his military service some of the things that had happened during that time. Look what it says. Let's begin in verse 1 of 2 Timothy 2. Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. By the way, young people, that's why you're thinking back there. That's where it got its name. is right there. Be strong. In the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Thou therefore endure hardness. Hardness. As a good soldier of Jesus Christ. So it's not fun. <laughs> the word enduring does not indicate that it's always fun. But you've got to be able to handle it. And go on for the Lord. I hope I've got hearing ears listening to me today. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Turn back to that please. I hope there are hearing ears among you. Not you thinking it's for somebody else. I hope you'll take it very personal. 2 Timothy chapter 4. And let me say endurance is needed to learn and practice sound doctrine. People want uh, soundbite stuff. Super quick answer. Aren't willing to be taught. Aren't willing to put the time in to learn the Word of God. You don't learn it in one moment. You don't learn it in one second. There's not a condensed version to come together to figure it out. It takes labor. It takes, it takes investment. And uh, there's a warning about those who, uh, who would not do so and will not do so. And this is very characteristic as we get closer to the Lord's return. Look in verse 1. I charge thee therefore, 2 Timothy 4.1, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who shall judge the quick and the dead at His appearing and His kingdom, preach the Word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine, look at it, for the time will come when they, that's believers, those who are hearing the Word, will not endure sound doctrine. They won't put up with it. There'll be, it'll be an experience-oriented church, not a Bible-based and a biblically-founded faith. It'll be the next thrill, the next chill, the next, the next 
fantastic service, and not learning to follow and walk with God. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust will they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. In other words, they'll go find people who will endorse and embrace and okay everything that they're doing wrong, all their lusts, but will try to teach them something. They'll think because they're learning a few things that they're actually growing spiritually. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth. They won't want to hear it. It shall be turned unto fables. I could go down lists of fables. These little stories that are made up that have nothing to do with biblical truth that are passed off among the religiously gullible. And uh, you'll turn to that, you'll get away from truth. We need to have endurance. Let me finish out this morning by talking to you about this thing on uh, do you have what it takes? Let me give you what obtaining endurance requires. Very simple things. I hope you'll mark down these references. One is, to, is a commitment to a goal. And it's a, it's a goal that God has set. I'm going to take time to read this one with you. Philippians chapter 3. Go back, if you will, to the book of Philippians there in the New Testament. Now, I've talked to you about the importance of a goal. I hope you've listened, or endurance rather. I hope you've listened. I hope you've endured to this point. And uh, now I'm going to talk to you about how to get that endurance. You want to do something. You want to be, if you were involved in an endurance sport, you couldn't just decide to do it. You haven't been doing anything. You just jump up off your couch and go ride your bike 100 miles, go run, you know, 5K, do something like that. You're going to have to do some things to build up to it. And that's the same thing in your spiritual life. And again, there's nothing about this message that's taunting or jabbing at you. I'm dealing with the fact, here's, here's what it takes to go forward. And uh, <laughs> please take this in context and listen carefully to the words I'm saying. It'd be a good day for some of you if you quit trying and just do something. You're always trying. You're going to try to do this. You're going to try to do that. Would you just quit trying and do something? Just decide to do something. Get at it. Quit wimping and whining around. And do something for God. Dare something for God. Go forward for God. I'll try. I'll try nothing. I say people in town, I don't know, maybe I'm getting to be a grumpy old dude. I'm not sure. Um, I'll be witness them and I'll talk to them and I'll invite them to church. Main thing I want to do is get the gospel to them. Well, I'll try to make it huh? and I will stop. I literally find myself doing this. I'll stop and say, I think you can do it. And I'll ask them, you ever make it to the grocery store? Yeah. <laughs> you, ever, you ever make it to a doctor appointment? Yeah, yeah. You, ever, well, you can make it. So don't not try. Are you coming or not? <laughs> don't do that. You don't need to be grumpy like I am. All right. Philippians 3. See, a preacher, that's not sweet. Very good. I don't even drink sweetened tea because it messes up my personality. Philippians 3 verse 13. Look at this. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. In other words, he doesn't think he is all oh, this wonderful thing. I'm not fully there. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, look at it, forgetting those things which are behind. Which, by the way, successes and failures. Some people live in the land of what they used to do for God. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth to those things which are before. Look at verse 14. I press toward the mark. That idea of there's some opposition, you're pointing towards it, you're keeping going. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. There needs to be a commitment to a goal, pressing toward the mark. Get it settled in your heart once and for all that you want to live for the Lord. 
Get it settled in your heart once and for all that Jesus is worth serving and honoring and worshiping and that you want to, that you want to serve Him with your life. And set your face towards it. Adversity is going to come. Distractions are going to come. Disappointments are going to come. But you keep your face towards the goal. I've told you before about this thing. I love to watch a good running back run. Anybody else like that? I love to watch a good running back run the ball. I'll tell you what all good running backs do. And if I start naming who I think good running backs, you'd realize how old I am because we'd be jumping back some generation there. Um, but one thing they all have in common, a lot of different running styles, you know, whether, whether it be dodging people like Tony Dorsett would do or whether it be running directly over people like Earl Campbell did. Uh, but all good running backs have something in common, and that's they're always looking towards where they're going. They're scanning the field. They have good field vision, but they're watching where they're going. And it's called making, making the progress after the hit. It's talking about their forward momentum. Even when they're being tackled, they are leaning towards that goal, stretching the ball. Every fiber, every part of them is trying to get to that goal line. They'll do everything. They'll get hit. They'll, and they never turn around and look some other way. They don't see what the people in the stands are cheering for them. They are singularly focused on that goal. That's just to get a blown up pigskin down there with some plumbing. It's, you know, make a touchdown. How much more worthy is our Savior for us to keep our, keep our face on towards the goal? devil will hit you, man. You get tackled along the way. You get hit. You get sidetracked. Gone. But you just keep your goal. Okay, okay, okay. I'm still going that way. Why? Because that's the way the Lord sent me. And your direction is directed by the Word of God. So you need a goal. Get something in you that says I'm going somewhere. You young man, don't grow up to be one of these whatever. That's it! Be a man of God. Get some grit in your craw. Get a spine to you. Get something that says, I'm going to serve God. I'm, I don't care what my friends do. I don't care what anybody else does. I'm going to learn to love like the Lord loves. I'm going to learn to serve like the Lord serves. And I'm going to learn to take care of my commitments. And be a man of my word and character. And you want to do that, God will help you. I don't care where you come from. But look, I don't care where you come from. I don't care what the background is. God can help you be what you ought to be for Him. I really believe that. Then we need to be conscious of the long term. I'm not reading this all to you, but 1 Peter 2 in verses 1 through 11, mark that and read that later. You'll find in that we are to add to our faith virtue, virtue, knowledge, and so forth down in that passage. And it talks about those who do not do these things. They don't take the step-by-step growth in the Christian life. It says they are blind and cannot see afar off. They have no vision of length of purpose and have forgotten that they were purged from their sins. We need to be conscious of long term. The living for right now is amazing. I got tickled the other day. My wife and I were out on our little scooter we zip around on. And uh, we were traveling, we were going on and, and uh, this guy had to pass us. I was doing speed up. He was in the edge of town. But he had to pass us. You know why he had to pass us? Because he, he was in a big truck. Big trucks are fine. But he was in a big truck and I was on a little funny looking scooter so he had to come around it. Because if you're a big bad dude in a truck, you can't be behind a little scooter. And uh, so, wah! And at least he did cold. But he wah! Comes around me up. And uh, he gets in front of me like that. I'm doing two mile an hour of speed. But he's in front of me now. Now everything's good. 
at the next light as it turned red. Bullet my Wow. Congratulations. You just used nine dollars worth of fuel and did nothing. Um, <laughs> I'm afraid far too often in our Christian life we're and we don't go anywhere. Because we're just dealing with very short term. Now, now, what about long term? Well, I know I'm just gonna make this decision now. Long term. Put it in the light of long term. Figure out where you think the Lord wants you to go and start back here with the steps to get there. If you're going to endure, you're going to have to have long term. Okay, this is a setback. But long term. Okay, this is a disappointment. Okay, but long term. Okay, this is something I don't understand. Okay, but long term. I didn't get in it for a little bit. Got in it for long term. May God help us do that. And then let me say finally to you this morning, you need to have continual consideration of Christ. And this one I do want you to see with your eyes. So you get it in your eyes and ears. Hebrews again, chapter 12. Take you back here again. We need to have a continual, that's a continual consideration. Constantly thinking of the Lord Jesus. Let these words of the Bible speak deeply into your heart here. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with such a great cloud of witnesses, and it's referring back to Hebrews 11 there where it names all sorts of people who lived and died in faith for God and who God used in many ways. Let us lay aside every weight, that's the things that slow you down and encumber you, and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. How do we run this? What's our posture? What's our, what's our way of running? Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. He began it and He'll end it. Who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now look at verse 3 at this, this admonition. For consider Him which endured such contradiction of sinners against Himself, lest ye be, what's the word? Weary and do what? Faint in your minds. In other words, you don't have the endurance. Consider Christ. He, he should be your dearest friend. He wants to be. And when you think about Him, It'll give you the confidence to know that he can, he can take care of you. He can help you. You can stay at it. You can be what you should be for the Lord. Why? Because Christ is who He is. And thank God He is. You've listened well. Let me pray with you this morning. Let's bow our heads, please, and pray. Father, thank You for Your people. Thank You for those who have chosen this morning to gather in this place to hear the Word of God. And I thank You, Lord, for a chance to open the Word of God and, and teach it. Help us, Father, to be responsive to you, please. Let me ask you a question while your heads are bowed. Is Jesus Christ your Savior? If I were to ask you one-on-one, -on -one, what is your hope of heaven? Do you know that you have eternal life? Well, what could your answer be? Could you tell me biblically? Maybe you couldn't quote a verse in that. That may not be your strength. But could you tell me why? 
you know you're a saved person. Could you tell me that your trust is in Jesus Christ and in Him alone? Well, if that's not the case this morning, in just a moment we're going to have an invitation. We'll never make a spectacle out of you. We don't do anything out of the way here. But I would, I would invite you, please, don't leave this place without knowing Christ. One of us can take Scripture and talk with you. Show you biblically how you can put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and trust Him as your Savior. It's very simple. You have to be willing to admit who and what you are. That you are a sinner. Both by nature and by choice. You have to realize there's a punishment on your sin, which is death and hell. You have to understand Christ, God in human flesh, loved you so much that He suffered for your sin in His own body on the cross of Calvary. You have to understand that after three days and three nights, He rose with power out of the grave where they put Him. And you put your trust in Him, not in religion, not in a church, not in some religious observance, not in your own goodness, but you just say, Christ, I believe what you did is enough. I'm trusting you. If you're willing to do that, and you're willing to admit those things to God and ask Him in your own words to be your Savior, He will come in and He will dwell with you. I'm going to pray. If you need to ask Christ to be your Savior while I'm praying in your own words, why don't you just admit to Him that you know you've sinned? Why don't you just ask Him to come into your life and trust Him as your Savior? You could do that now. He, in one place, He said it was like opening a door for somebody that's knocking. That's what it's like. You're inviting Him in. Not some special words, but just the sincerity of your heart. Well, I pray, why don't you call on Him? Father, thank You for a chance uh, for the Word of God to take effect. And I pray You'll help those here fully trust in You and not their own goodness. Lord, I pray, whether it be a visitor or a church member or someone who's been here a lot of years, if they don't know You, may they understand this morning their need of You as their Savior. pray You'll bless Your people. May they draw closer to You and be willing to endure. May they, may they dare to believe that You can help them walk after You. Amen. Let's stand together, please. We'll have a song invitation. Something you want to bring before the Lord. Our, our altar is always open. And uh, maybe this morning you say, I, I want to talk to somebody more about this thing of knowing Christ is my Savior. When we had vacation Bible school. We'd take the young people and I'd ask, I'd say, if you don't know Christ, you want to know more about that, would you be willing to just step out and let somebody talk to you? I, I want them to be brave and not ashamed of things. I'm asking you the same thing. We have a song invitation begin. Why don't you come this morning and we'll, we'll talk to you about this. Try to help you.